Watchers. Welcome to a, another episode. Uh, I'm Chris Lawson, Head of Fertilizers at CIU, and joining me today is Andrew Whitelord, Matt Dalgleish. That's, yeah. That's pretty good, isn't it? He's done this before. He's, he, you know, he's, he's posted he, a few he, webinars at his time. He watched one of his big. He watched one of these big fancy companies. He's got media training and whatnot. Yeah. So, he knows what he's doing. Just keep it short and sharp. That's as it just yeah. That's that's the the motto that I'm going by these days. So sounds good. We're getting. We're still, yeah. You don't get away. You don't get away the sixth sense though. So we'll get straight in just to, as a little warm up. Okay, great. Right up, but we're not going to give you any easy ones this time. Nah, hard ones, hard okay. ones. I can see you They also can't be on any topics related to fertilizer. Yeah. What? Okay. So you're you're based. In, some some listeners would know who you are, Chris, or from previous podcasts. So they know you're based in the US as well, right? So I want to ask you a couple of specific US ones, and the most pressing one at the moment for me is Donald Trump. Is he going to go to jail? Yes, and who will win the election from jail as well? I think. <laughs> All right, because that was my next. My next one was going to be: Will he become president? So you've answered the two in one. So yes, and yes to the answers to those. Okay, I think so. Yes. Okay. American food or Australian food? Which is better? Australian food any day of the week by an absolute long shot. The food here is is pretty awful and yeah being in new york you pay a lot for very very mediocre food so yeah australia any day of the week looking forward to being back over christmas to eat some fresh seafood and fresh fruit and my mum's cooking it's gonna be amazing worst sport in the world cricket definitely not cricket definitely not aussie rules i big sports fan so that's that's hard to to say really, I'm just going to say lacrosse because it's kind of on the top of my mind at the moment. I don't really get it. So lacrosse, I'll say lacrosse. lacrosse yeah. is, have you ever watched a lacrosse game? N- not really. It's pretty that's, good. That's, it's, it's like ice hockey mixed with field hockey. Okay, but, well maybe so I'll they, give it a shot. They, they they throw the ball as well with some kind of. It's got like some kind of a. It's not a net, is it? It's like a. It's a, it's a kind of net. Implement. Yes. Yeah. So school, but it's like I, I used to play at high school. It's like field uh, hockey, but but you throw the ball rather than bash it on the ground. It's a bit like that yeah. Celtic. It's like curling, uh, curling, hur- curling, 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 curling with the stones. That's, That's also it. Oh, this curling's not really a sport though. The curling's kind of like uh, curling. Balls. Curling is. I did curling as well at high school. And curling is a sport. It's it's kind of a mixture of housework and bowling, and they're both like bowling's <laughs> a hobby and housework is a chore. Both admirable things to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a great combination for time poor people, isn't it? Was it my, you know? Yeah, yeah, yes, I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I said worst sport. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. rap or country music? <laughs> rap, right? Just go on, do one. A rap? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Today, unfortunately, uh, favorite rap artist. Favorite rap artist. Um, you sound like such a cool dude when you say that, Matt. Ghost, Ghostface Killer. So it's, let's is go that, Ghostface, you just Ghostface made that up? Is that a real no, art? No, he, was, he, was yes. in, he was in the Wu-Tang Clan down from Staten Island. 
So yeah, Wu Tang fucking Wu Tang Clan. You probably, you probably, I didn't know you're that old to know even who Wu Tang Clan is. Gosh, I, so yeah, I, born in the eighties, Matt. So oh, okay, there you go. You don't you don't look that that old, Chris. All right, let's let, let's, let's throw a curveball in. Fertilizer shortages in Australia. Uh, well, based on the great analysis that EP3 have done, non-existent. The <laughs> plenty of imports coming in, um, some lower demand this year because it's drier in Australia, so you don't expect as as much uh, as Man, many uh, volumes or as many tons to be applied. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a short answer. Chris, well, we're going to get into it. Chris, hold on. We're going to get complaints about this, so you might have to put an apology forward, Chris. But Chris, you don't get away with it. That easily, you've been on a podcast. You've been on a podcast about five times. You know it's a short answer, <laughs> and people are going to complain about diverging from the format. Yeah, so. and that, and that, especially, especially Doctor Hoiberg doesn't like when we go on these tangents as well. well. Especially when you had the real Chris on last week. <laughs> yes, I, I apologise for going off on a tangent. Uh, I've veered away from my keep it short and sweet motto, uh, and yeah. Uh, utmost apologies, particularly to Chris slash Ryan. Yes, I think that's why you're the you're the Chris that Andrew got confused with when he when he called Ryan Chris. I'm I pretty think, sure. I, I think that's because we've done two episodes in a row, like Chris followed by Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, the sense of deja vu, isn't it? Yeah, it, what comes around comes around. Uh, and you said we weren't going to ask him any any uh questions on fertilizer in the sixth sense and just yeah, yeah in there at the end. you know i'm just it's just it's about creating tension isn't it they're like mm-hmm. oh easy questions easy questions and no here's a hard one and then there's like then the big sucker punch comes right at the end yeah yeah just, uh, just like francis yeah. naganu and tyson fury oh they're called yeah. coward punches now aren't they coward punches not, not sucker punch or king are they called king these we called king hits mm. you didn't see that one coming chris did you did you? Uh, you, don't, you don't think we're going to talk about fertilizer in this podcast? <laughs> For no, what are these, what these guys getting me on to talk about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is, so what, what's the what's the general global state of play now? Because, uh, you know, obviously we've still got issues in Ukraine and energy's still kind of, you know, up and down and a bit volatile. Mm-hmm. What's, what's going on out there with regards to the kind of landscape? Yeah, I mean, I would say <laughs> that for the most part, fertilizer supply has been relatively good uh, through the year. If we think about nitrogen, uh, particularly urea, uh, yeah, that there's been no shortage of, of urea, really. The, the main producers have been producing well, and Russia, which is one of the largest exporters, has been able to get their product out okay. Uh, there's been a few production issues here or there in the Middle East, but mm-hmm. not too much to really speak about. Um, there's been some kind of volatility in, in China availability based on some government policies there. But if we, we kind of think about it through the course of the year, supply has been, yeah, uh, okay. Uh, India, which is the largest importer, has been importing less. So that's created a bit more availability for, for other markets. So, yeah, on the urea front, uh, relatively well supplied. And we saw prices come down as, as a result of that. And they've been... You know, reasonably volatile over the recent months, um, but yeah, much lower than where they were in 22. Phosphate being a little bit tighter, um, some uh, holding back of volumes in Morocco, and again, some government interference in, in China. So we haven't seen prices come down to anywhere near the levels that uh, we hit 
over kind of two, 2019, 2020, which is a pretty pretty bad trough in the market. And potash markets uh, have been pretty stable, I would say, um, over the past uh, few months. Again, seeing a decent amount of supply coming out of Russia and also Belarus, which are uh, outside of Canada, the two of the three largest exporters. So, um, yeah, everything's kind of ticking along okay. So globally, a picture of you know supply is pretty reasonable, um, demand a little bit softer. What's what's driving that lower Indian demand? Why are they not as um, not high so much? Yeah, not so much lower demand. It's more a fact of they're building their own capacity. Right. Um, so government-sponsored capacity mm. makes no economic sense to to build it, but the Indian government want to be more self-reliant on on nitrogen fertilizer production. Doesn't make much sense when you're do, a hydrocarbon do, importer, but they're doing it. And do, do they, as a country, do they subsidize the sale of fertilizer to producers? Uh, to uh, farmers, yes, farmers, yeah. they do. Yeah, yeah so it, it, it's it could you could spend a whole podcast episode on on the intricacies of Indian agrarian policy um, <laughs> and and fertilizer subsidies, but basically farmers in India are paying the same price for urea now as what they were twenty years ago. It is ridiculously cheap. Um, phosphate and potash was uh, somewhat liberalized, maybe. Uh, eight or nine years ago, maybe a bit longer than that. Um, so that's a bit more at a, at a market price and has a bit more natural volatility in it. But yeah, the urea is is heavily, heavily subsidised, and the government spends a lot of money uh, on on doing that. Hmm. That's, inter- that's interesting because you think it's not if you have, you know, urea or any fertilizer that is extremely cheap and too effectively too cheap and subsidised, it doesn't really discourage overuse of it. No, there must be some amount of nitrogen leaching, I would imagine. Oh yeah, it's it's really bad. I've been lucky enough to visit India in my time as an analyst and going around speaking with lots of the different agriculture institutes there. Jeez, hold on a second. Hold on a sec, <laughs> Matt. Matt, you've been an analyst yep. for a while. Yep. How how can we end up going to Griffith or Albury <laughs> or Wodonga, you know, or uh, Mark and Budin? I'm not sure that that's true, but I think if I had a choice between India and Griffith, I think I'd still choose Griffith. That that Italian was good. Uh, it was. It was. Um, yeah. India, India. Wait, wait, maybe we need to just find a better, a better, better people to work for. Yeah, if you're saying you know go to somewhere in Europe or somewhere, yeah, you know, I don't know. India doesn't float my boat. I think it's too. I feel it'd be too hot for my, um, you know, kind of sensitive. Uh, condition, you know, I don't like that humid weather. I think I'd die in India. Mm, you're probably right. And, yeah, yeah. We'll just go to just... Geneva, Geneva and New Caledonia. <laughs> New, New Caledonia is going to, uh, does it not have fertilizer? Like potash uh, or something? Or? No, no. I think you might be thinking of Nauru or Christmas Nauru. Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we'll, go to, we'll, go to Chris, we'll go to Christmas Island. Yeah. <laughs> Beach holiday. Yeah, there's still accommodation well, there. Parents, yeah, no, my parents have been there before, and they said it was they, that was one of the best holidays they ever had. They had a oh, great Christmas Island. There. Yeah, yeah. It's what, yeah. What, what's what's there as a tourist rather than? Well, I just thought it was a place we put beautiful, people beautiful to beaches. Is it? Hmm. Yeah, crabs. 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 Oh, is that the place that? Ha- oh, that's the one that David Attenborough has. Where all the, uh, there's a kind of period when they all come out of the 
go from the ocean to the land or vice versa, one or the other. All right. Go anyway, to- anyway, anyway, yeah. going back to Indian fertilizer uh, demand. So they're looking to produce their own fertilizer using imported hydrocarbons or imported yes. energy. Yeah. That'd be pricey, would it not? Yes, very much so. Basically right up the, the top of the cost curves that we do. So as I say, there's a lot of government <clears throat> money that, that goes into that. Um, and yeah, as a result of the kind of misalignment of, of fertilizer prices and the, the kind of incentives for getting your nutrient mix right, it isn't really there. And yeah, it's a very unsustainable practice. I think most of the people in the industry in, in India realize that, but it's such a political politically sensitive issue when, mm. when fertilizer prices go up um farmers in india and let's not forget there are over 100 million mm. of them uh very very much uh exposed to, to those changes uh that's a lot of votes in in a democracy as well so uh, particularly as we kind of get to this point of uh, the kind of election cycle i guess when there is a big national election next year fertilizer policy and supply is always kind of a very hot topic um, and the, the government always does try to ensure that there is enough supply in India. Part of the, with the, you mentioned about Ukraine, um, with that Ukraine issue and then Russia and Belarus um, being able to get product out. Um, yeah, just with, it, with, with them being able to get product out, um, is it, is it, look, is it, because during that time India was kind of still happy to trade pretty openly with Russia, right? Even though there was those, um, you know, kind of restrictions on, on on some of the trade coming out of Russia. Is that part of the reason why they've been able to get product out still? Because um, because countries like India are still engaging with with Russia. Uh, yeah, I mean, India's been engaging with Russia. Brazil's been engaging with Russia, but we're even starting to see Russian product go into Europe now. Uh, the US never really pulled back that much on on buying Russian products. Mm. We've got to remember when it comes to sanctions, uh, Russia. Russian individuals linked with fertilizer companies were were sanctioned, but the fertilizer companies themselves were not. Um, so again, there were some issues uh, initially when the kind of war broke out and some of those sanctions were coming in around, uh, yeah, the financial tra- transactions and, and kind of flows of, of money, but they were all evened out relatively quickly. And um, yeah, we have, we've seen Russian producers favor particular regions and, and countries um but yeah we're, we've we've not seen too much of a shock to volumes what about at the moment you've got the conflict in israel with uh, hamas mm-hmm. is that that's obviously energy prices have shot up a bit off the back of that and and that, that concerns what like obviously there's two scenarios there the conflict stays relatively regionalized you know just mm-hmm. in palestine israel maybe lebanon um, then other scenario is like a wider contagion to the wider sort of area, you know, Iran. What 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 would be the two sort of impacts of both of those scenarios, like roughly? Like what what we're seeing at the moment, I guess, impact wise. Yeah. So so what are we seeing at the <clears throat> moment? We are seeing, uh, yeah, Israel is an important exporter of potash, mm-hmm. uh, as is Jordan, uh, and they export some phosphate raw materials and and kind of smaller high-grade uh, phosphate products. So that's Israel's main kind of fertilizer uh, export markets. Uh, we are still seeing uh, exports coming out of Israel. 
Um, they've been very clear uh, on that, that they haven't had uh, too much disruption as of yet, but the situation obviously remains pretty precarious that both their ports remain still open. Um, so, so far, everything is okay and we haven't seen too much of a disruption. Uh, again, there's some different points of view on that mm -hmm. in the market, but nothing too major so far. There are some second order impacts as well um, around, as you said, Andrew, energy prices and, and gas prices. Uh, Egypt is a really important nitrogen producer, urea producer, and uh, they've had some uh, uncertainty around their gas supply, which has caused some plants to shut down over the last day or so. We're not sure if that is kind of linked to the uh, the conflict or whether it's something um, yeah, that is completely unrelated. Uh, but if we move to that second scenario where this conflict really does escalate and, and pulls in other uh, countries in that region, uh, it's there, there is a major, major risk to the fertilizer um, market on if, if that happens. If we think about uh, the Middle East and, and Egypt within that as well, it's just under 50% of urea exports. It's just under 50% of ammonia exports. It's just under 50% of sulfur exports, ammonia and sulfur key fertilizer raw materials. Uh, really, as I said, about 11% of, of potash supply phosphate raw materials as well, you know, Egypt, uh, Jordan, really important phosphate rock exporters. So, yeah, if if we see an escalation, there is a huge upside risk to the market. We obviously hope and, and pray that doesn't happen. Um, but the Middle East is a, a, an incredibly important region for the supply and export of fertilizer. Um, and, yeah, and again, the, those kind of second-order impacts of gas prices, energy prices can't be ignored as well if there is a broader kind of escalation here. And again, if we see gas prices shoot up, we start to see European production shutting down um, and we get a bit of a, a domino effect. So whilst we've seen prices come down over the, these past 18 months or so, and we're expecting them to continue moving lower as well over the rest of this year, uh, there is a one big, huge, significant risk that, that is there lying in the Middle East. Yeah, but it's sort of, it's still, a, you'd say it was relatively low risk of it occurring, but we fought that with Russia and Ukraine as well. So I guess yeah. uh, it was yeah. a big case of waiting and seeing. Yeah, I, it's it's really difficult to, to comment on and, and to forecast, <clears throat> obviously. It, it's something no, we can't we'll, forecast that. No, no, it would be a, a very dangerous game. But, but, but it also has impacts. Like if we see energy prices spike up, we'll probably see corn, wheat, soybeans also spike up as well, mm -hmm. and canola. Yeah. And so we'll see that sort of general wider sort of grains and oilseed complex also increase in value. So it's sort of, it is taken with one hand and given with the other mm -hmm. to an extent. But yeah. we, shall, we shall see. Hopefully, cooler heads prevail. Yes, hopefully. So tell us, you started talking in a sixth sense about the shortage of urea in Australia. The, the apparent shortage. The apparent shortage. You know, because it has changed because I noticed a lot of media has now changed from uh, shortage to apparent shortage uh, and spokespeople from the industry. So anyway, what do you think about that? <clears throat> Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's not much more I can say other than pointing to the data, which you, yeah, have have done through throughout the last few months. If you look at the imports that are that are coming in, they've been really strong. And there's obviously been a shutdown of the 
only remaining urea production facility in, in Gibson Island. That wasn't a big facility anyway. It wasn't a particularly low-cost facility. There was a good reason why they, they was, decided to shut that down. Ar so. Around about a quarter million tons urea would it be about? Uh, say again? About a, about a quarter of a million tons of urea. Uh, I think so, yeah, off the top of my head. I don't think it's much more than that. And that was, um, that was imports and uh, domestic use and exports as well, wasn't it? Small yeah, I don't think they exported a, a great deal. It's obviously, yeah, a, a seasonal market when there was a opportunity, opportunity that popped up to export, they might have done so, but not not a big exporting plant. But the current the current years, just import volumes are now higher than previous imports plus what we were producing domestically. So that that kind of <clears> argument <throat> argument around it being we're not we're not it's producing not, as it's, much it's, now it's here. It's definitely not a national shortage though. Like the volumes there, yeah. but then mm. if you look at something like we don't have the volume by state, but if you have mm -hmm. the value per state, you can just you can see a, which is a set, it's a good set. proxy for 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 mm -hmm. volumes. You can see yeah. that there has been a, a switch more to Western Australia, like a considerable shift. So maybe maybe there's a shortage. It's just that it's On in the, the eastern, wrong place. Eastern Eastern right. Seaboard's got it or something, right? Mm. It hasn't got it in the Eastern but, Seaboard, and the West but, has. But it's dried up on the East Coast. You know, so demand will be down. Mm. I doubt. Yeah. I reckon summer crop demand will be down as well, I imagine. Mm. Yeah, I do think that Australia is one of the more sensitive markets to when it comes to fertilizer demand and, and weather. Mm. Yeah, I, I was, was trained as a agricultural scientist in Australia. And again, if you have a, a relatively dry winter and dry spring, you would skip one or two urea applications because you don't want to the risk of your crop falling over and not being able to fill the grain. So we've, again, it's it's pretty clear we've had a much drier year in Australia. Crop production is going to be down significantly. So we can, again, assume from that that there probably is likely some some cutbacks in, in fertiliser demand after what was a really, really good year last year. So, mm. um, again, if we, yeah, stack that up with, with those import volumes that we've seen, it, it doesn't suggest that, Again, thinking about Australia as a whole, that there would be massive shortages. Out of curiosity, sorry, you, you, would you trust that UN Comtrade data or ABS data as being relatively accurate? Uh, I wouldn't see a reason not to. Because um, we, when, use, when, we can, use trade data from all around the world, and yeah, again, <clears> no one ever really questioned mm. the numbers that we use for Australia at all. So, so are you, when we're using that UN commentary data, you might look at some countries like exports from, I'll just pick a name, Somalia, or mm. you might look at that with a bit more, let's uh, double check this, let's triple check this. But I reckon if you're looking at the commentary data for <clears throat> US, Europe, Australia, any of those sort of countries and continents and trading blocks, I reckon it would be yeah. pretty accurate. Because that was well, one, of the, that's one of the questions we got. Yeah, some, some European countries aren't great at reporting, but they just flat out don't report rather than give you yeah. misleading data. Um, so, yeah, and you've got to obviously do some, get your analysts in investigation skills going to try and kind of tie some of that data together. But, yeah, I, I, I have mm. never heard in my time as an analyst any major complaints with Australian trade data. Yeah. So if if there's if you look at the volumes coming in and we know that nationally we've got record volumes of, of inputs coming in, but there are obviously farmers that have expressed that they've struggled to get products. 
um, in certain spots. So does that then say it was logistical or, or poor planning perhaps in terms of where the urea was brought into or, or, or transported around the country um, so that, you know, they w- that ended up being pockets of areas that mm-hmm. struggled to, to get orders filled? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things we can probably take from that, Matt. I mean, if we think about the direction mm-hmm. of prices over you know, since the beginning of 2020, when they peaked, and you know, for in some instances were were at records, and then those prices then sliding lower and lower and lower over a period of kind of 12 to 18 months, that's really difficult for you know procurement managers to to deal with because you know, the the term that we hear often is catch a falling knife. You don't want to buy a, a lot of <clears> product <throat> and be holding on to some very high priced inventory and having to sell that the season after at a you know, at half the price. So that that's a very tricky thing to to try and manage, particularly in such a seasonal market mm. like like fertilizers. So I think that has probably led to some shortages in in various parts of the supply chain. And one thing that we're noticing here a lot in the US, and we get this comment quite a lot globally, is you know, the the cost of money is a lot higher now mm. as well. And you you've got to put a lot of money down to buy these expensive inputs that. Um, you know, a, a large volume. So again, that's really um, stopping people from fully stocking up, I would say. And again, that's that's got some potential implications of you know, creating some short-term shortages uh, when, when that seasonal demand does really ramp up. So you've got to have really good supply chain planning to, to kind of deal with these volatile markets. Because that's the that's the that what is, what appears to be one of the next arguments that's been made by some in that fertilizer space is that they need more assistance and maybe some government assistance to get their logistics and that that kind of delivery infrastructure working a bit more efficiently. I'm not sure if the taxpayer should be paying that, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, again. I don't know the the situation all that intimately in in Australia. Um, again, that. If you had loaded up and, and a lot of that high-priced inventory would have caused a lot of financial strain, that's for sure. And I guess one of the things that you probably want to maintain in, in the Australian market is competition. You don't want half your distributors to, to go out of business because and then you, you go back to where we were kind of 20 years ago when there wasn't many players at all and um, there was you know, a, a lot more kind of um, ability to ratchet up prices without the, the kind of fundamentals necessarily supporting the reason to do so. So Australia's got a, a decent amount of distributors and, and importers there in the market now. I think that's a really good thing um, for creating competition in the market. It's a good thing that I've said this before, but it's a good thing that you guys are, you know, putting some scrutiny on that that domestic market as well and no, keeping not, some ability of the industry. So not not everyone's happy about that. But uh... <laughs> of course. You can't please everyone. That, that's that's business, right? Well, you mentioned, you just mentioned about that kind of, and in the US as well, obviously Australia's in the same boat. We've had interest rates going up. The US, I think just recently your inflationary numbers start to tick back up again in the US by the look of things, which um, is leading to some concerns of maybe the Fed going back to a tightening phase. Um, the RBA is probably looking at, uh, you know, so I think there's a 65 or 6% chance of a rate rise um, for Melbourne Cup Day. Is what the market's forecasting. With that, is in the US now, with that kind of looked like, you know, that inflation is kind of still being persistently stubborn, you know, in terms of trying to get down. 
the, the chance of an interest rate rise. Is, is it starting to flow through to serious concerns about US recession? Or what, what's the, well, you're over there and going out whining and dining and, you know, going out to night, nightclubs and stuff, having a crazy hang, hang around with 50 pence. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, you know, what's the, what drink, what drinking, is the drinking, drinking crystal with Ghostface Killer? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's this, what's the general feeling? Around the place, are people worried about you know, about potential recession there? It's it's been really interesting to be here over the last year and just see the the ups and downs in with, of the kind of the news reporting cycle around a potential recession. The the, the economy has been extraordinarily resilient here. Um, the the job numbers continue to be really strong. Uh, again, the the kind of Purchasing from consumers has has remained really strong despite those in, despite the inflation despite interest rates going up. So it's I think it's really surprised people. I think I was listening to something the other day where this time last year Bloomberg had um, forecast a hundred percent probability of of the US being in recession by this point in in twenty twenty three, and that obviously has not happened. And we we saw really strong GDP mm. growth. Uh, kind of figures reported here just a, a week or so ago. So I, I think that, yeah, the kind of reading the tea leaves and, and kind of gauging the, the sentiment here, there are some concerns going into to 2024. I think, you know, as a bit of a, a kind of lag pushback effect of, of this recession, I think that if we do go into a recession, I don't think the expectations are going to be a really deep and, and brutal recession it will just be a dip for a, a quarter or so but again the, the economy here is is really strong it's, it's flying and there's a lot of um kind of focus here now around industrial development that hasn't been something that's been on the agenda for a good few decades but everyone's talking about building factories here you know making the most of relatively cheap energy prices in, in new york the most of a more bipolar world not in new york definitely not here but um again, geez, really. in, in some of the other southern states Wall Street now making cars, yeah. Tesla factory. No, uh, no not, not quite, but um, the US more generally, yes. What, what about like, you're obviously in New York, yeah? So you're in a, probably financially in a bit of a bubble compared to a lot of America. You guys have got offices in Pittsburgh? We do, yes. And that's Pittsburgh. I, I can't remember. That wasn't the place where Robocop was filmed, was it? I don't know. <laughs> but it, but, it, but it's, it's not... It's not a flash place, Pittsburgh, is it? Like New York? No, it's a, it's, it's it's a, a pretty blue collar. It's very blue collar. It's it's kind of a <clears throat> steel city. Um, so it's gone through a lot of, yeah, kind of uh, downturns over the last kind of 50, like a, 60 years. Are any of your colleagues seeing anything different? Like from an anecdotal sort of level? Do they experience I, it slightly different? Well, I think, you know, Pittsburgh has you know, changed quite a lot over the past couple of decades to become a bit more of a, you know, service space. Mm. And there's great universities there. Um, it's obviously still is, is still the kind of, there are still operating steel mills there and it's, it's the, the kind of heart of and, and pride of the, the city. Um, but, you know, it has, it has managed to diversify somewhat. Um, and again, there is, there is huge money that's going into, this kind of reindustrialization of of the US um, through the Inflation Reduction Act to again, you know, build battery factories and and build you know all these hydrogen hubs uh, around the country and and build new 
ammonia plants for exporting, you know, their, their kind of cheap gas in, in other forms mm. uh, to other parts of the world that, that really need it, such as <clears> Europe. So there is definitely a, a lot going on in, um, yeah, those more kind of industrial heartland towns like, like Pittsburgh and particularly in, in the southern states, Texas, Louisiana, mm. there's, there's a lot of um, stuff being built there. Making American manufacturing great again. Yeah, very well, very much so. It's it seems to be kind of what what both parties are really focused on at the moment, um, and that's that's kind of a result of the more you know multipolar world that we we live in now, um, and China just becoming a bit more expensive and becoming a bit more of a service based economy. It's it's opening up some opportunities for the US, and as is the kind of wider energy transition that that is you know it's completely changing the face of what quantity markets look like and what future commodity demand is, is going to be um and yeah the, the, i would say the us is one of the countries that's really on the front foot in you know throwing support behind some of these new industries to um to yeah really kind of get that that up and running i was um it was a bit tongue-in-cheek at the start asking the donald trump question i was surprised at the the second yes like so you, you actually think he will go to jail but then potentially win the presidency from jail um, yeah, you think there's a you think there's a reasonable chance for that, or you're being a little bit, a little bit joking yourself. Maybe a bit of both. Again, if you look at the Republican polls, he's so far out in front that it's yeah. just really it's impossible. I think DeSantis and Nikki Haley are maybe kind of around fifteen percent each, and Trump is over fifty percent in terms of the the kind of preferred candidate. And this is him. This is all while being under kind of four or five different investigations, um, not you know participating in any of the debates or anything like that. It's 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 crazy how far ahead he is. And again, we we talk about kind of the economy roaring along and actually being pretty resilient, but you know not everyone does feel that. Um, and again, when we talk about inflation that does hit the, the bottom line um, or the, the kind of wallet of, of people around the country. And so there is just sometimes a bit of a general dissatisfaction with the the Democrats. And there's some other kind of loony conspiracy theories out there around the Bidens and things like that, that do kind of all affect the way that people vote, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's pretty neck and neck between Biden and Trump at the moment, the two, very very old men uh it's mm. hard to really call what's going to happen but it's it's all a little bit terrifying as well yeah. certainly would be an unprecedented scenario of someone being in jail and then being voted in as president it'll be it make for interesting times even it more interesting be, uh, than the first than the first time around that he was in yeah in charge. yeah i think after after 2016 um yeah you, you can't really be surprised by by what is next around the corner it's it's just been it's been a wild kind of few years in, in u.s politics when, when is when is the next u.s election 2024 but it'll be first next half year. first half or? uh i don't know i think it more to no back half. It's at the end, yeah toward the end yeah. i thought it was november or something yeah, you know? yeah, yeah that's right yeah. yeah yeah because the new president will get uh, <clears throat> instated in january 6 2025 so they'll have the election at the end of the year yeah, no, but that, look as much as I probably don't agree with Trump, I do kind of want it because it would be much more exciting. Like, like, do you remember like being an analyst before Trump came in? 
It was a bit boring. <laughs> then there was a couple of years of actually quite interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, but now we've but now we've got hot zones. Now we've got, we got hot zones in yeah, Israel. But they they got they're going to calm down eventually. We need somebody like Trump in just to fire things up a bit. So, and we also need Boris Johnson back. Oh dear. Yeah, and, okay. and and Bob Carra instilled as president of uh, prime minister of, of Australia, mm-hmm. just just so we could get real volatility out there. Maybe you could be president of Australia. Maybe you guys should have another referendum and become a republic. Uh, I don't think they're going to rush back to a referendum mm-hmm. in a hurry. No, I don't think so. Let's not talk about that. Hey? Um. Anyway, so as the uh, as the voice of fertilizer, uh, Chris. <clears throat> What should the global, global, global voice? voice. What, what should farmers be doing there? Because we keep hearing from, like, there's a big push at the moment for farmers to store their own fertilizer long term. You got any views on that? Like, I, I sort of feel that storing anything long term, a, hundred percent, what you were saying before, interest rates are higher, cash is more expensive, mm-hmm. but also just storage, like storing grain. We're all used to that. Mm-hmm. storing fertilizer to me just seems something that's a lot more risky and high valued so yeah i mean you're talking about storing a you know what is if you think about your area it's a chemical substance there's a lot of you know quality issues around that you got to you know make sure the moisture and humidity and, and the, all those different elements are, are correct so you can actually use it when you need it um we, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about fertilizers at the moment because of the the wild prices that we've seen over the last couple of years. But when we start to get, you know, into a, a bit more of a boring cycle again, I think that people will, you know, just revert back to, to the norm. So I, I would yeah. be surprised if we do see a lot of people really executing on that idea of, of storing uh, a lot of fertilizer. Again, no, we don't expect that. There, are, the, there the, already is the, here decent numbers. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. it, I just think it's one of those things that you're you're trying to create a solution to a problem that only occurs every once in every fifteen years. What about these? Years. What about these units they're working on that make it in, like in situ? Yeah, you see, have you seen that, Chris? It's like uh, no on farm urea production. Oh, okay. Yes, no. There, there are a few companies trying to do that uh, here in in the US. Interesting concepts. Um, let's see. Let's see how it goes. It's and we do see more ideas out there now of kind of. I think the price centralized the, supply chains, more more regionalized, small production hubs rather than big ones that need to transport product many many miles. Um, again, yeah, lots of these ideas come about and, and get a bit more traction when prices are high, but when prices are low, the economics don't quite stack up. Mm. Um, and it's a lot harder I think to it's, make a I think business it, out of that. Somebody told me it worked when it was over a thousand Aussie dollars a ton. Mm-hmm. Which how often how often is it at that level? Pretty rare. Not very often. Yes. So, what yeah. about like I know this this is working completely off tangent. You guys do a lot in the mineral sort of space, various sort of minerals and whatnot. Uh, what about batteries? And if you don't know anything about this, I just thought maybe you've read something in one of your articles. What, what do you think about like the supply of the chemicals for, for batteries, cobalt, etc.? Lithium. Lithium. Yeah. Yeah, it it's it's funny actually. I'm I'm only I'm only saying this I'm only saying this because I'm thinking about buying a Tesla. So I'm doing my research. <laughs> Fair enough. No, it, it's 
fertilizer market analysis now is is much more interesting than what it was five or six years ago because obviously markets themselves have been really interesting but the other markets that we need to get a view on now are, are kind of really overlapping um so we're in the process of researching our specialty phosphates report at the moment where you know there's going to be a big focus on lithium ion phosphate batteries mm. the amount of phosphate that's that's going into lfp that is kind of the battery in vogue battery chemistry of, of choice at the moment lots of ev cars in in china for example have lfe batteries in them because it's a relatively cheap it's a relatively safe battery that's out there there's some you know the kind of the perceived downside is that it uh, has a lower range but that's fine for smaller cars in, in cities but that range is actually being improved so yeah th there's a there's a lot of work that we're doing on on batteries at the moment um, cobalt is being is kind of being talked down now in terms of its okay. its role in the the evolving battery chemistries, and that's more of a supply side issue. I think, the, oh, I think a lot of it's coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, a reluctance to to source cobalt from yeah those more dubious areas of of Africa where there's a lot of you know uh, conflict Ten tension. And, yeah, yeah, um, and just generally really terrible working conditions. So that's 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 evolving. There's a lot of focus on nickel as well at the moment. Uh, lots of nickel um, refining and mining capacity being built in Indonesia, for example. There are some questions about the, the kind of environmental footprint that that, that leaves. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a fascinating market actually. Lithium is you know it has gone gangbusters over in terms of its prices over the past uh two to three years but has come crashing back down to reality uh this year uh lithium demand is, is super strong it's growing kind of I was pulling some numbers together yesterday maybe 20 30 40 percent a year hmm. it's, it's phenomenal how how quickly that market is growing but there's also a lot of people that are building capacity yeah. um to to service all that that growth so we actually see a lithium market that's going to be an oversupply over the next five years um so yeah we're doing a lot on that space at the moment it is it's a really really interesting area to cover and um yeah it, it's very relevant for us speaking about speaking about capacity coming online there was quite a few factories for or production plants for urea in mm -hmm. in the sort of various sort of stages including a couple in australia which i think maybe one of them is likely to go ahead mm. what's the uh what's the view on urea production in the next five years do we think we'll be oversupplies so, there as well pipeline over the next two to three years is actually relatively tight and a great deal of projects coming in and where those projects are due to come in is is more in russia and there's some questions about whether they'll be able to get them built out or not based on again some of the financial uh, restrictions there and kind of technology providers not doing business in, in the country. So th there's not a massive amount of urea capacity in the pipeline over yeah these next couple of years, but as we get to the kind of four, five, six year horizon, there are some big projects, including some of those in Australia that are going to help to, mm. um, yeah, kind of ease the, the S&D balance a little mm. bit. Right on. I have one one other thing, yeah. Are you guys looking at the EU Green Deal, the farm, uh, farm to fork policy with fifty percent reduction in fertilizer? Yeah, we we look uh, a lot at European 
policy directives. We look at a lot at their carbon pricing, for example. So yes, we, we do look at that. We think that that farm to fork ambition is just that. It's it's, it's ambition. ambition. I don't necessarily <laughs> think they expect to, to reach that goal. Um, and we don't really see the mechanisms in place right now that would support that. To an, to an well, well, yeah. we're, we're 2024 basically now. Yeah. This is six years away. You'd have to be doing yeah. a lot of yeah. stuff to get there. Yeah. And there's some, and it's not just that they're being ambitious on there. There's some very ambitious goals around you know, using renewable energy and fertilizer and chemical production, for example. And again, there's just not the, the kind of infrastructure and supply there yet to, to actually enable that to happen. Again, they're, they're aiming for this in, in 2030. It's very difficult to seeing to see some of these very ambitious goals being achieved. And it's going to come at a pretty extraordinary cost as well. When we look at kind of our forecast carbon prices, you know, that's going to, that's going to have a huge impact on what the cost of importing urea in, um, in, in Europe is is going to be, and there are the other nitrogen fertilizers that they consume as well. So uh, there's there's a lot of moving parts there, uh, and it looks like yeah, Europe and and even the rest of the world is just going to get generally more expensive to to produce things going forward. So it's going to be an interesting world next twenty years. Matt, Matt, Matt will be retired by soon anyway. But for us, uh, us youngsters, next, us next young rap scallions, next, next week. Yeah. Right. Oh, I reckon we probably covered everything. Covered a lot of ground. It's, it's been how, good. It's how was you actually last last time last time you were, last time you were on or you were post operation? I think from your knee. Maybe basketball. That was a long time ago. Now that was mm. well over a year ago. Now I think so. So you've been on since um, then. Are you back yeah, on the, a lot of back, times. That was not. I was not, was not all that long ago. Maybe a couple of months ago. So. Yeah. You, time goes by. Yeah, are you okay, Andrew? Are you 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 with I, it still? Or yeah. I'm getting old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, it's a, when you work with somebody so old, it, it starts to rub. It starts, <laughs> starts to rub off on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, it. There but no, right on. Well, anything All else right. before we go, Chris? Defer. Uh, no, I think, well, like I said, we, we've covered a lot of ground. It's been good to to chat with you guys as always. Keep up the, the good work that you're doing with, with EP3 and that great analysis and those little market morsels you're sending through. Always enjoy them. And yeah, thanks again for having me on. No worries. Anytime, Sounds Chris. Good. And enjoy gallivanting as an analyst around the world while, we, um, while we're sat at home eating porridge. Yeah, when you're out with Ghostface Killer, that sounds Ghost good. Killer. All right, see you, uh, see, see, see you when you got nothing on. Ciao for now. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.